We're going to be in John uh, chapter 10 this morning. You can open up your Bibles. Our ushers are coming up and down the aisles uh, right now. Uh, John uh, chapter 10. Uh, boy, that local basketball club sure is doing quite well, aren't they? Man, oh man, the Toronto Raptors. Everyone's uh, thinking about them, talking about them. I mean, people are already lined up just to be there at Jurassic Park. Every single game, it just gets bigger and bigger. I think Jurassic Park's going to be into Etobicoke uh, by, uh, for, for Monday night. It's, uh, it's a really exciting time. All the newspapers and media outlets are trying to find uh, articles to, to write about the inside story on the Toronto Raptors. I read an article about the sort of the history of how they landed on Raptors as a, as a name. In 1995, when they were getting ready to have their first uh, season, they held a conference. Contest, a, a nationwide contest to name the team. And uh, before they decided to, uh, to name the team uh, the Raptors, 2,000 entries came in. Uh, different contestants gave suggestions and colors and, and names and mascots, uh, different ideas for the team. Uh, and uh, some of the suggestions were the Bobcats, the Dragons, the Scorpions, the Terriers, the, the Towers. Uh, it was very close that we were going to be cheering for the Toronto T-Rex. But it was the, the son of the, of the owner of the team at the time who had just watched Jurassic Park. And he wasn't that fired up about the slow and awkward T-Rex. He loved the Raptors uh, from that movie that came out in the mid-90s. And so uh, that was the, the, the mascot, the logo that was decided upon. Now, I don't know for sure. I didn't look at all of the thousands of entries that were made. But I'm quite certain that no one suggested the Toronto Sheep as the, as the logo. I, I'm pretty sure that... There are no sports teams that have a sheep as their mascot. You want your mascot to be uh, ferocious, uh, intimidating, fast, cunning. Uh, sheep are none of those things. Uh, sheep are unintelligent, slow, helpless, vulnerable, and cuddly. Now, when we get into our study of John chapter 10 today, Jesus is going to say uh, two very profound things about himself. He's going to say, I'm the door of the sheep. He's going to say, I am the good shepherd of the sheep. And if we're going to fully embrace all that Jesus is, what he's going to say to us today is not really telling us about him, it's also telling us about ourselves. Jesus makes uh, seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. We've already looked at two of them. I'm the bread of life and I'm the light of the world. The bread of life, you know, we can accept that. We've all experienced hunger at different times. We know what it's like to be hungry. And so when Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, yeah, sure, yeah, I'm hungry. When, when Jesus says, I'm the light of the world, we can be like, yeah, you know what, I've experienced darkness or confusion uh, and I, I feel like we do live in a dark world. I know there's even darkness inside of me. And so we, we're willing to acknowledge, you know, bread of life. Yeah, I'm hungry. Light of the world. Yeah, you know, I, I, the darkness. But, but when Jesus says, I, I'm the shepherd, that means that we have to say, I'm a, sh 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 I'm, a sh uh, I'm a sheep. It's really humbling to, to actually admit that, to, to say, I am a sheep who needs a shepherd. So let's look at John chapter 10, verses 1 to 21 together. Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, 
That man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon, he's insane, why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who was oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? This is God's word for us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of your Son. And on this Pentecost Sunday, we ask that the same Spirit who inspired John, who carried John along the way a wind carries a, a vessel that's sailing along the sea, Lord. I pray that the Spirit who inspired these words would now illuminate them so that we could see them, Lord. I pray that we would hear your voice speaking to us by your Spirit through your living and active word. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Notice how uh, verse 1 and verse 7 both have Jesus starting with that phrase, truly, truly. Jesus painted this picture in verses 1 to 5. You've got, you've got a, a sheepfold, a pen. You've got a door. You've got thieves and robbers. You've got a shepherd. But it says in verse 6 that they didn't understand what he was talking about. And so he needed to explain it. So in verse 7, it says, Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you. Jesus is explaining what, what, what he meant by using that, that picture. He, he was talking about himself. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. He tells us who he is. He's the door. He tells us who we are. We are the sheep. If we're going to understand who Jesus is, we have to accept who we are. And so you can jot this down if you're taking notes uh, today, that Jesus is the door that lets us in. 
Jesus is the door that lets us in. He says he's the door of the sheep. In verse 8 he says, All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to him. So he's, he's explaining who the thieves and robbers are. He mentioned the thieves and the robbers in verse 1. Go back to verse 1. He says, He who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Anyone who does not come in through the door, anyone who is not leading the sheep through the door, is a thief and a robber. They're climbing in by another way. So we need to understand the context here. We have, you know, we have this nifty chapter division in our, in our Bible so that we can navigate through this, uh, through, um, uh, through this, this book. But when John wrote the Gospel of John, he didn't you know, stop at the end of chapter 9 and then write a big number 10 and then a little number 1 and begin chapter, chapter 10 verse 1. No, it, was all, it all flowed together. And if you go to verse 21, they're, talk, they're still talking about the miracle of chapter 9. Could someone who's possessed by a demon open the eyes of a blind, of a blind man? And so Jesus, when he's talking about thieves and robbers, he's talking about the Pharisees. And how they treated one of Jesus' sheep. How they cast him out of the synagogue. They're thieves and they're robbers. Because, because they were trying to find a way to God apart from Jesus. Jesus says, I am the door. I am the way to God. These Pharisees, they have their, their Sabbath laws and their rules and their rituals and their religious practices. And they're climbing in and out over the wall. Meanwhile, there's a door. The only way to get to God is through the door. Later on, Jesus will say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. He says, all who come before me, he's not referring to everyone in history, he's talking about the, the current socio-religious political establishment, Judaism at the time of Christ, all who came before him, those who were in spiritual leadership at the time, they weren't pointing to the door. If you go back in biblical history, I mean, the faithful prophets like Isaiah and Jeremiah, they pointed people to the door. They predicted that Christ was coming and that we should enter through him. Even going back to Moses, he made prophecies and predictions saying there's a door that's coming, a way that is coming. But Jesus says all, the, all these current leaders, they're like the thieves and the robbers. They're trying to climb over a wall. They're thieves and they're robbers. They will not take you to God. It says the sheep did not Listen to them. Jesus says the true followers will understand that these religious leaders are truly just whitewashed tombs. That the outside of the cup may look clean, but the inside is filthy. Then he repeats himself in verse 9. He says it again. I am the door. And look at what he says. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. Jesus says if anyone enters by him... Two things will happen. One, he will be saved. And two, he'll go in and out and find pasture. Jesus says that he is the way to be saved. He is the way to be saved from the consequences of our sin, from the punishment that all of us deserve under the wrath of God for our iniquity. Jesus says that he is the way. He's the door. Whoever enters by him will be saved and receive the gift of eternal life. 
But Jesus isn't just merely concerned about eternity. He's concerned about here and now. If anyone enters by me, he says he will, go, he will be saved. And the second part is, he says, and will go in and out and find pasture. Sheep need the pasture. Sheep do not belong in the pen. They can't get fed in the pen. They, 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 they can't receive the nutrition and the hydration that they need inside a pen. They weren't made to live in the pen. And Jesus is the way to set us free so that we can live the way we were meant to live. He is the door. He is the way out of the, the confinement that all of us are experiencing because of the sin and the brokenness in our world. He is the way out. We, he is the way that we can be saved. And, and as we live out our salvation, we are going in and out and we are finding pasture. What do sheep need? They need to eat. They need grass. If you can translate what a sheep means, what a sheep is saying, right? When a sheep goes, meh, right? What are they saying? What, what does this mean? Meh, it means I want to eat grass. That's what it means. That's what they're made for. And Jesus has come to allow us to live for what we were made for. We were made to be in a relationship with God. We were meant to feast in the fields of God's grace as his sheep. To go in and out and to find what every human heart is longing for. We try to fill with all of these other things. Try to make the best of living in a pen. But Jesus has come. And he is the door that opens up to us the pasture of living in a relationship with God, finding satisfaction and fulfillment. One of the interesting things about these 21 verses that we're studying is it's a, it's a, a rare stretch within the Gospel of John where the word believe doesn't occur. Believe is the key word in the Gospel of John. And, and the word isn't actually used here. It's used three times before the end of this uh, chapter. Sorry, um, five times. But the concept is, Jesus says, if anyone enters by me, that's how do you enter? Through the door. You enter through the door by believing in Jesus. Believing that he's the son of God. Believing that he suffered and died in our place as our substitute to give us the gift of eternal life. That's how we enter by the door. Jesus is the door that lets us in. In verse 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He talked about thieves and robbers in the plural, talking about the Pharisees, but behind those thieves and robbers, there's an ultimate thief, Satan. Remember these Pharisees, Jesus said that they were the sons of their father, the devil. And so they are, they are thieves and robbers, just like Satan is a thief and a robber. And his intention, climbing in another way, Satan's main way is just to keep you distracted from the door. You know, you're on a game show and there's door number one and door number two and door number three. And let's say door number three is the real door. Satan's doing everything he can to think, to think that that door doesn't exist. And he's doing everything he can to distract and, and deceive and to destroy. He's trying to climb in another way. And he's saying, no, there's another way to find pasture. Come over this way. Come with me. Don't listen to the shepherd. Don't go through the door. Come this way. Jesus says, if anyone's climbing over a wall to take a sheep out of the pen, that's not going to end well for the sheep. They're not going to the pasture. They're going to the slaughterhouse. 
And Satan does not. He, he lures us in. And we can so often, like a sheep, we're, we're unintelligent, we're vulnerable, we're weak. And we can so often go along with something that Satan intends to use to destroy us. So we've got to be careful to avoid the thief. Because he comes to steal and kill and destroy. But look at what Jesus says. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. He's, he's, he's standing in antithesis to, to the thief. The thief's come to steal and kill. Where Jesus came to give and to give life. You see, people misunderstand what the Christian life is about. Some people think that the Christian life is about, is about restriction and what Jesus wants to do and what the Bible teaches is that we should be penned in. That's not what Jesus came to do. He came to set us free. He came to lead us out into pasture. He came, we don't belong in the pen. He came, to, he came to give freedom. He is the door that opens us up. Now, Satan promises freedom, but he just... He's a liar and a thief, and his purpose is to destroy and to capture and enslave us. But Christ has come that we might have life abundantly. Satan says that freedom is doing whatever we want, whenever we want. That's not what freedom is. That's just another form of slavery. Jesus sets us free by leading us into the pasture, by living the way we were meant to live, by doing what sheep are supposed to do. So the way to abundant life is through the door. And loved ones, what's true in a salvation sense is true in an everyday Christian living sense. You want to have an abundant life? You got to go through the door. You want to experience abundance in your family? You got to go through the door. You got to do it Jesus' way. You want to experience abundance in your work? I'm not necessarily talking about financial prosperity. That might be part of it. But you want to enjoy your work and enjoy what you're doing, whether it's housework or whether it's working in an office or in a warehouse. You've got to work the way God commands us to work. You've got to go through the door. The way to abundance in your work, if you're not happy in work, make sure that you're doing it God's way. If things aren't working in your family, you need to take a look. Are we going through the door? If we want to have a church that's filled with abundance and joy and life, we've got to make sure that we're doing it God's way. Again, not, that's not restrictive. It's freeing. Jesus is the door that lets us in. Then in verse 11, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. Secondly, you can jot this down. Jesus is the shepherd who leads us on. He's the door that lets us in and he's the shepherd that leads us on. Again, Jesus is explaining that picture in, in John chapter 10, verses 1 to 5. Now he's unpacking it. He talked, he talked initially about the door, that he's the door. He's the way out. He's the way to freedom. And then he says, well, the, the, the shepherd, that's also a picture of me. I'm the one who's going to lead you to pasture. Now there's a bit of a, a little bit of Old Testament background here that we should be familiar with. It starts with Genesis chapter 48. Uh, Jacob, the patriarch, think about all the different ups and downs that he went to, being sort of a liar and a cheat and a, a thief sort of in his own right. But God had his hand on him and was merciful and gracious to him and blessed him. 
And uh, eventually his highly dysfunctional family made their way to Egypt. And, and Jacob was marveling at the grace of God. And Jacob knew he was like a sheep. And he had wandered this way and wandered that way. But God had been a faithful shepherd. And this is what he says. God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. Jacob was the first one to sort of introduce this concept of God as a shepherd. And then David, of course, in Psalm 23, most of us are familiar with that, really tapped into that imagery, didn't he? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then other psalmists began to think about religious and political leaders in Israel as shepherds as well. In retelling how David was called, look at what Psalm 78 says. It says, God chose David his servant and took him from the sheepfolds. And following the nursing ewes, he brought him to shepherd Jacob, his people, Israel, his inheritance. With upright heart, he shepherded them and guided them with his skillful hand. The metaphor used to describe how kings are supposed to rule over their people is the metaphor of a shepherd. David was an actual shepherd of actual sheep. And he's the, he's the, 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 the prototypical king of Israel. And then he shepherded the people. The same principles of caring for sheep he used in caring for the people. And Dave, David overall did pretty well. His son Solomon was also supposed to be a shepherd. And he did pretty well. Didn't finish very strong though, did he? And then after that his son Rehoboam and then the whole list of, of, of shepherd kings after that. Some ups and some downs. Some wins and some losses. Until you get to the time of exile when it's just bad shepherd after bad shepherd. This is what Ezekiel has to say to those kings. Thus says the Lord, ah, shepherds of Israel, kings of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. See, the exile, they were scattered. Because there was, but there was a shepherd. There was a king. But the king wasn't doing what a king was supposed to do. He wasn't shepherding the people. So God says, you know what, there's a problem. If you want something done right, you've got to do it yourself. Here's what he says in Ezekiel 34, 15. I myself will shepherd my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord. I will seek the lost and will bring back the strayed. God says, I'm going to come and be the shepherd. I'm going to be the king. But then in the same chapter, he says, and I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. And he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their Shepherd. What's going on here, God? How's it going to be? You, you say you are going to shepherd the people. You're going to do it yourself. Then you say emphatically there's going to be one shepherd. And we're thinking, we know, one shepherd. It's you, God. You already told us who the shepherd is. He says there's going to be one shepherd. And he says the shepherd is going to be David, really a descendant of David. So Ezekiel 34 is sort of this unanswered question for hundreds of years. People are trying to figure out, how is this going to work? God says he's going to shepherd the people. He also says that a descendant of David is going to shepherd the people. How is this going to happen? How, how, is, this going to, how is this going to work out? Well, the answer is in John chapter 10. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. 
I'm not like the bad shepherds, the, the evil kings in the history of the people of God. I am the good shepherd. You see, what Jesus is saying here is so, is so infused with, with power and meaning in light of Ezekiel 34. When Jesus is saying, I am the good shepherd, he is saying, I'm a descendant of David and the rightful heir to the throne of David. But he's also saying, I am God. I am fulfilling Ezekiel 34 as the good shepherd. A human king and God as king, God in flesh who has come to rule over his people as the shepherd. And what's even more astounding in light of all of that is how he describes what he came to do. Verse 11, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus is the shepherd who leads us on and three things that he says about himself as a shepherd. First of all, our shepherd is sacrificial. Our shepherd is sacrificial. Ezekiel 34 uh, prophesied that, that there would be this, this sort of hybrid king. God was going to rule and a son of David was going to rule. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that. 100% God, 100% man. Son of God and a son of David. And the, but Isaiah prophesied that this, this shepherd was going to be led like a lamb to the slaughter. Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. You see, this is how Jesus becomes the door for us. He became the door because we were penned in, hemmed in. There was no way out. There was a wall between us and the green pastures of the presence of God for all of eternity. But Jesus came and suffered and died and paid the penalty that all of us deserve for our sin and opened the door so that through faith in him we could enter into that pasture. By laying down his life for us. Jesus, we need to understand this. Jesus can only give abundant life to us if we believe he gave his life for us. He can only give abundant life to us if we believe he gave his life for us. In verse 12, he introduces a, a new character into the, into the overall picture. we got the sheepfold and the gate, and we've got the, the shepherd, and we've got the thieves and the robbers. Look at verse 12. He says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Jesus is using another compare and contrast. He initially says, I'm not like a thief and a robber. They come to steal and destroy, but I came to give and to give life. Now he's introducing a hired hand. And he's, he's saying, I'm not like a hired hand either. Notice what it says about the hired hand in verse 12. It says, he does not own the sheep. Notice how in verse 13 it says, he cares nothing for the sheep. This is Jesus saying, this is, not, this is who I'm not. I'm not a hired hand. The hired hand does not own the sheep. So then what, do, what is it Jesus saying about himself? That he owns the sheep. That we belong to him. And then he says, the, the hired hand doesn't care. And Jesus says, I care. I am not like a hired hand. Whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, Jesus is right there with you. He owns you. You belong to him. He cares. 
verse 14, he says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. The shepherd is sacrificial and he's sacrificial because of this. Our shepherd is relational. Our shepherd is relational. He says, I know my own and my own know me. He's talking about relationship here. I know my own and my own know me. Look back at the picture that he paints. Look at verse 3. Talking about the shepherd. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name. And leads them out. He calls his own sheep by name. And he leads them out. He calls them by name. He draws them to himself. He says, hey, Seth. He says, he says hey, Claire. He says, hey, Dez. He calls us by name. He knows who we are. A couple of years ago, I was at a conference of like, thousands of people there. And, you know, when you go to different Christian events, you, you know people from different settings, different churches you attended or summer camps or, or whatever it may be. And, and uh, this person came up to me and uh, they said something to me. I, I couldn't quite understand what they said, but, but then we, a conversation kept on, kept on going. And then, and then they said, well, you know what? It's really good to see you, Giorgio. <laughs> and almost as soon as they said it, we had sort of like a brief, you know, surface level conversation. And then they looked at me with this look of horror and said, you're not Giorgio. <laughs> and I said, that's right. You're absolutely right. Somewhere out there, there's some guy that looks like me named Giorgio. I'm not sure how that, how that works. Steve, Tom, Bill, maybe. I, I don't think I look like a Giorgio, but... The person, they, the, the person turned out, they didn't know me at all. I was trying to figure out, how do you know me? Listen, it's not like that with Jesus. He, he knows our name. He calls us by name. And it says, continuing on in the picture that he, that he paints, in verse 4, when he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. The sheep follow him. Notice this, for they know his voice. They know his voice. Listen, there's so many, there's so many voices vying for our attention, isn't there? The, the, the world has a, has, a, has a voice. Satan is trying to talk to us. Our own flesh is trying to speak to us. And there's this confusion of voices. And listen, are you doing everything that you can every day to make sure that you are hearing the voice of Jesus Christ? Pastor Chris so often says in the counseling office, Jesus must be the loudest voice in your life. What does Jesus want to see happen in this situation? And that doesn't, that doesn't just mean what, what do you think Jesus thinks. No, to hear his voice, you have to go to his word. This is where we find his voice. And we need to be so careful, don't we, that we are hearing his voice. Do you ever go visit... Uh, uh, another church or you listen to a speaker on the, on the radio or some sort of a Christian event and you, 
you hear something and it's just, it's just not quite right. And you know that's not the voice of Jesus Christ. You know, you take the, you, t- you got the grill fired up, you take the meat out and, and before you put it on the grill you're like. And you think, you know what, I'm not, I'm not eating that. That doesn't smell right. I know how it's supposed to smell. And, and th- that, is a, that is a warning to us not to ingest something that's harmful for us. In the same way, we have to be so accustomed to hearing his voice that we know when false teaching is being spoken by a thief or by a robber. It's not by becoming an expert on all the false teachers. It's by becoming deeper in your relationship with the good shepherd, hearing his voice. Verse 5, a stranger they will not follow, but will flee from him. When we start to smell false teaching, when we start to hear a stranger's voice, we shut it down. And we make sure that we are hearing the voice of the good shepherd. He's relational. Getting back to verse 14, he says, I'm the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Notice this. Just as the father knows me and I know the father. I lay down my life for the sheep. Notice the depth of relationship that Jesus wants to have with us. He says, I know my own and my own know me just as. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. That is mind-blowing. Jesus isn't new to this whole relationship thing. He's been eternally pre-existent in a relationship known as the Trinity. Before Adam and Eve ever had Cain or Abel, they, 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 they... The the concept of sonship and fatherhood has always existed because there's always been a relationship. And think about the the connection, the intimacy, the oneness between the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. And Jesus says, I want our relationship to be like that. What on earth? God does not want to relate to you and me as sinners. He wants to relate to you and me the way that he relates to his son. His son suffered and died on the cross for our sin. To open the door into a relationship with him. So that we could be as close to Jesus, as close to the father. As they are to one another. That is Mind-blowing. And again, Jesus keeps emphasizing the sacrificial part. Verse 15 at the end, I lay down my life for the sheep. He says, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Jesus is talking about these other sheep. He's talking about non-Jewish disciples. Jesus spent... Just about all of his time, he spent a little bit of time in Samaria, but that was really when he was just going back between the Jewish area of Galilee and the Jewish area of Jerusalem. Almost all of Jesus' interactions was with someone who was of Jewish descent. But Jesus says, you know what, there's other sheep as well. And they're going to hear my voice. But 
very few non-Jewish people or people who didn't come from Jewish descent ever actually heard the sound of Jesus' physical voice from coming from his physical voice box. But he's, he's sure of it. They will hear my voice. You see, here's the thing. When Peter went into Cornelius' house in Acts chapter 10, it wasn't just the voice of Peter, it was the voice of Jesus. When Paul and Silas and Timothy, when they went to places like Ephesus and Athens and Philippi and Thessalonica, it wasn't just their voice, it was God's voice. You stick around Harvest Bible Chapel long enough, you're going to hear me pray something like this, aren't you? I'm going to say, Lord, I pray that people would not merely hear my voice, but that they would hear your voice. And every time God gives us the privilege of witnessing to another, to another human being. And, and when our words, when the vibrations coming from, from our larynx, from our throat, reverberate in their eardrum, it's not merely our voice. Jesus says, I have other sheep. And they, have, they will hear my voice. Isn't that so powerful. Isn't that so encouraging when we think about what it means for us to go out on mission and to be witnesses and to share the gospel. That it's not merely us that's speaking, but the spirit who is speaking through us so that people would hear the voice of Jesus. And then he says, so there will be one flock, one shepherd. God's aim is for the unity of his church. It was so difficult for the, the Jewish people to, to overcome all of the centuries of, of prejudice and suspicion about non-Jewish nations. And Jesus says, no, we're going to be one flock. These Gentile believers are going to be grafted in. They're going to be one. You think about all, all that the the Jewish Christians had to overcome in order to welcome Gentile Christians into their fellowship. What do we need to overcome in order to be less biased, in order to be more welcoming so that we would be one flock? What do we need to do to make sure that we are preserving the unity? Jesus wants there to be one flock and one shepherd. Loved ones, the best way is to keep our eyes on the shepherd and not on the sheep. When sheep follow sheep, bad things happen. Just watch YouTube. But when sheep are listening for the voice of the shepherd and following him, that's when we can be one. So our shepherd's sacrificial, our shepherd is relational, and then lastly, our shepherd is powerful. Our shepherd is powerful. Jesus says in verse 17, For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus is fulfilling a charge. He's been sent on a mission to lay down his life and to take it up again. And Jesus makes it really clear. His life was not taken from him. He did not lay it down. And he, he, sorry, he, he, he did lay it, he did not, it was not taken from him, he did lay it down. 
And let me show you what I mean. Turn back in your Bibles to John chapter 5 and find verse 18. He laid down his life and he took it up again. John 5, 18. It says, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Not, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So, from early on as John chapter 5, they are seeking to kill him. But listen, they can't kill him on their own terms. Jesus came not, not, not to be killed by the intention of someone else. He came because he had received a charge from his father. And he came to lay down his life, not to have it taken from him. So they they want to kill him. Let's see how that uh, works out for them. Look at John chapter 7, verse 32. John chapter 7, verse 32. It says, the Pharisees heard the crowd muttering these things about him. And the chief priests and the Pharisees sent officers to arrest him. They're like, okay, enough of this. Let's bring him into custody. Let's deal with him. Once and for all, look down at verse 45, the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, why did you not bring him? They sent someone to go arrest him. It's a pretty simple job. Verse 46, the officers said, no one ever spoke like this man. They couldn't arrest him. No matter how hard they tried. Look at John chapter 8 and verse 59. After Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am, declaring that he was God. John 8, 59 says, they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. They couldn't, they couldn't arrest him. They couldn't stone him. They, kept, they were trying to kill him, and they couldn't. Why? Because his life was not taken from him. He laid it down. Finally, before Good Friday, look at John chapter 18. John chapter 18. And look at verse 4. When Jesus went to the cross, it's not as though things were spinning out of control. Jesus was not a murderer, not a martyr. He was not a victim. John chapter 18 and verse 4 says, Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you speak? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Grown men, trained soldiers, at the sound of his voice, fell to the ground. No one took his life from him. He laid it down. Soldiers get back up, then Jesus says, asks the same question again. He says, okay, now you can cuff me. Just so we all understand what's going on here. You tried to arrest me before, and I'm willfully surrendering. I wouldn't have been the one who wanted to put the cuffs on him at that point. But anyway, then look at John chapter 19 and verse 30. John chapter 19, verse 30. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. It was over when Jesus said it was over. You see, we have a a shepherd and he is sacrificial. We have a shepherd, he is relational. We have a shepherd and he is powerful. He has authority. Authority to lay down his life and authority to take it up again. 
Jesus died because Jesus chose to die. Jesus did not die because of the nails. Jesus did not die because he was bleeding. Jesus did not die because he suffocated to death. Jesus died, it's right there. He gave up his spirit. Because he had authority to lay it down. And he had authority to take it up again. And here's the encouraging thing. Our shepherd is powerful. Listen, a dead shepherd, Jesus keeps saying, I laid down my life, I laid down my life. A dead shepherd is sentimental, isn't that nice, he died for us, but not very practically helpful. But a resurrected shepherd is a whole different story. One who has the power to lay down his life and to take it up again. One who has power over everything that is happening all around us. He is the one who is shepherding our souls and he will carry us to the very end. Are you listening to his voice? Are you relating to him? Do you know him? This is our shepherd. And he'll shepherd us through to the end. Look at Revelation chapter 7. These are words spoken about those who went through the great tribulation. And when they went through the great tribulation, it's not as though Jesus had lost control. Jesus was always in control. And his power was strengthening them in the midst of that. And in John 7 it says, They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Revelation 7 describes the the, the great tribulation. And if God is in control of what's going to happen in the future. And what's going to happen on that awful day. Those difficult times. Listen. God will be in control of whatever we are facing right here, right now. He's sacrificial. He's relational. He's powerful. And what are we? Weak, vulnerable sheep who must be trained in hearing the voice of our shepherd. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we look to you right now. And we ask that by the power of your spirit, you would help us to get our eyes on your son, Jesus Christ. And that we would see him in all of his glory, in all of his beauty, in all of his authority. The authority where he laid down his life and then took it up again. God, I pray that no matter what we are going through, God, that you would be our shepherd, Lord. Even if it's through the valley of the shadow of death, that we would fear no evil, trusting that you are with us. So God, we ask that you would be present as we respond in worship, Lord. As we speak like sheep and declare our need for you. Our need for you to lead us. Our need for you to guide us. Our need for you to provide for us and to protect us, Lord. We pray that you would do all of this for your glory. In Jesus' name.